the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And today we are giving you a Mike Judge episode. Now, we like Mike Judge, but you know who really likes Mike Judge? Tell me, Adam. Our patron, Joseph Garcia. This was a requested episode by him. Thank you, Joseph, for uh, being a patron. Yes, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, patrons get certain perks like uh, special episodes that we do. We kind of we have a I don't know, non non conventional format with our episodes, our, our bonus episodes. We kind of just do whatever the heck we're feeling. I mean, we've tried different, totally different things that we're like, okay, maybe we want to do a podcast on an, on this on some random thing mm-hmm. in the future, or uh, we'll do poker nights sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or just other random things. Yeah, like it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And you also get the chance to either be on an episode. Like we've had multiple people. Ken Johnson, uh, Steve Wilhelm has been on an episode. Uh, Alex Renkamp. Uh, multiple people have done that. Or you can be on a different tier and you can pick an episode for us to do. And so that's what Joseph has done. And we are doing Mike Judge. We are going to judge the judge. <laughs> and in doing so, we are going to talk about the 1999 film Office Space. We are going to discuss the early 90s well it lasted quite a bit of time uh beavis and butthead on mtv and then we are going to do a fan casting of a live action king of the hill so we're going all over the judge spectrum yes we are (laughs) all over all right so 1999 john i'm ready to party uh you know as prince taught me to do so i need to get my mind back into that year All right, so the movie came out on February 19th, 1999, a year I remember well because that was the year I graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. If this movie had come out one week earlier, the top uh, top 100 uh, Billboard single would have been Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. However, uh, this one on this week was a song called Angel of Mine by Monica. Which I didn't recognize until I listened to it, and then when it hit the chorus, I was like, "Oh, I totally, I totally remember that." All right, I will. It'll probably happen to me as well. Yeah, and I was listening to it in the room with my wife, and as soon as I got to the part, she goes, "Oh yeah, I remember that too." Cool. Uh, on TV, Adam, do you remember what what uh, game show was huge in the late nineties? Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? That was topping the Nielsen ratings, as best as I can tell. Unfortunately, yeah. the week by week Nielsen ratings kind of fall off after 1996, and it's hard to determine hmm. exactly what it was the week. But the best I could guess, it was probably Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah, I think you're you're probably. Right. I mean, Regis Filmon. Hey, Regis Filmon here. Uh, <laughs> I'm out of control. I'm out of control. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a primetime game show. It kind of kicked off a, like a slightly new era of big time primetime game shows. They had this one, and then that one with Howie Mandel, the um, the cases one. I can't even remember. Deal or no deal. Yeah, deal or no deal. I was actually even a um, not a stand-in, but I was paid to be in the audience and clap uh, for an episode or two of that <laughs> one uh, when I first got out to L.A. Um, there was that one verse one hundred, which I think was the uh, Bob Saget 
mm-hmm. uh, episode uh, one, as well as um, how I met your not how I met your mother. Uh, are you smarter <laughs> than a fifth grader? The other yeah. question one with uh, Jeff Fox. But yeah, so there's like a whole bunch of different primetime games. The weakest that, link that kind of kicked oh, yeah, off yeah, around, right. that was huge. around there, and it's and it's back now. It is. They brought that one back. Very cool. Uh, the New York Times bestseller for that week is The Testament by John Grisham. Okay. Not a book I'm familiar with, but at least an author I'm familiar with. Yeah, definitely. And if you were playing video games in that week, you are more than likely playing Final Fantasy VIII, which had just come out like a week or two before. I've never played a single Final Fantasy game. Have you? Not really. I've tried a few of them, and I get bored very, very fast. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know if I... I mean, now, I'm a big fan of the the RPG style now, like a Skyrim, mm-hmm. Witcher, that kind of stuff. But early on stuff like the the Final Fantasy never gripped me, and so I've just never given a shit about go- diving into that franchise. I haven't either, unfortunately. Yeah. And just a, a fun little nugget that I found humorous. Uh, on tour that year, uh, Garbage was for- forced to cancel a show in Estonia when Russian customs officials prevented the band's equipment from leaving the country believing that the band's name that was stenciled on the boxes what was actually inside the cases. <laughs> wow, John. That's funny. You leave it to the Ruskies. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> and that was 1999. All right, good stuff. Now, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Office Space, 1999, written and directed by Mike Judge. It was based on Judge's Milton cartoon series, um, and this was his first foray into live-action filmmaking. Uh, He did do one later called Idiocracy, which I have not seen, and so many people have told me I need to see it. Is that the one with uh, uh, Luke... Wilson. Luke Wilson, yeah. Apparently, it's like there's all this shit that was kind of like come true, and it's like it's almost like it's a like he's the smartest person in the world or something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I've heard that it's pretty funny, and I've only seen like clips of it, but I've never actually watched the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this movie, Office Space, was a bit of a box office disappointment. It made twelve point two million dollars on a ten million dollar budget, so it didn't do great in the box office, but. After repeated airings on Comedy Central, it sold very well on home video and has kind of become a cult classic. Mm-hmm. That stuff. I mean, hell, I own the DVD. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. So, I mean, absolutely. I remember watching it a lot of times on, on TV and whatnot. The cast. Peter is played by Ron Livingston. I remember him best from Swingers besides this. He was on that movie. Uh, he was also in The Conjuring, which I never saw. And he was in Band of Brothers, which I never saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joanna is played by Jennifer Aniston, who we all know from Friends. She's also been in Horrible Bosses, bunch of stuff. Yes, thank you, Rembrandt's <laughs> fan. Uh, and then um, Michael Bolton is played by David Herman. Uh, he was in Idiocracy as well. He uh, had a good stint on Mad TV. Oh, nice. He did different voices on King of the Hill for 153 episodes. He did different voices on Futurama for 108 episodes. He does the voice of, you know, Roberto, the stabbing robot in yeah. Futurama. He also does the voice of Scruffy. Totally different type of voice there. Scruffy. Scruffy. And a whole bunch of other things. Uh, also, That's cool. Yeah. Voice of Mr. Frond on Bob's Burgers. So he's become actually quite a prolific voice actor. Samir is played by Ajay Naidu. He had some small parts and stuff. Uh, he was in Bad Santa, K-Pax, 
But, like, nothing, this is definitely the only thing I remember him from. Okay. Lawrence is played by Diedrich Bader, who I remember best from the Drew Carey show. Yeah. Uh, he was also in Napoleon Dynamite. People will probably remember him. He was the karate guy, wasn't he? he yes, exactly, with okay. the American pants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's done Batman voices in a couple of different things. There's a cartoon called Brave and the Bold, and also he's the Batman, the voice of Batman in the uh, Harley Quinn show, the cartoon that I'm pretty sure you're a fan of. Oh yeah, yeah. But Diedrich Bader's just done uh, done a bunch of stuff. Uh, Milton is played by Stephen Root. Adore Stephen Root. Great character actor. Absolutely, I think he's one of the absolute best. Yeah, when he was in, he was in Get Out. He did a great job. He's also from News Radio, Dodgeball. Uh, in that show, Barry, which I highly recommend. He did a voice in King of the Hill for, you know, its entire run. Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? And we actually talked about his very first credit ever when we discussed Crocodile Dundee 2. G'day. So, that was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that was stupid, but that's all right. Uh, and then the last person I'm going to bring up right here is Bill Lumberg, who is played by Gary Cole. He was also in Dodgeball. Uh, he's been in Talladega Nights, Voices on Family Guy, Bob's Burgers. He's been in Veep. He's been in plenty of stuff. He's another really strong character actor that, you know, if you guys mm. don't recognize his face or don't recognize the name, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff. This whole movie is chock full of great character actors. Just tons of yeah. people I recognized. And even even when I first saw this movie back in probably, I probably first saw this movie in college. So it mm. may not have been until like, either late 99 or early 2000s when I finally saw it. Because I just, at the time I was a senior in high school, I probably didn't care about going to see this movie. And so I probably saw it as, you know, as a viewing somewhere else in college. Mm-hmm. But even then I remember like, oh, I recognize him. I recognize him. I recognize it. Like just uh, who's who list of, of kind of unknown character actors who you've seen their face, but don't mm-hmm. know their name. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we get started with the opening titles um, kind of over this interesting song that's playing the soundtrack in this movie is is interesting yet oddly perfect exactly and i guess i'm going to talk about we'll talk about that later okay some more songs pop up Uh, but that is definitely a good point so uh, we see peter in traffic and we kind of all immediately know the feelings that he's going through kind of swapping between lanes and just being frustrated never never happy uh, we also meet Michael and Samir in their cars dealing with traffic as well. We see Milton at a bus stop and we see Bill Lumberg parking his Porsche into his own personal spot as they all go to work into Inatech. And I want to call this out. I mean, so this is Mike Judge's first, you know, live action film and, you know, but he's a great writer. You know, he's done a lot of funny stuff. I really like this opening sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's not something that I think is a lot of people would stand out as like something spectacular and it's not spectacular. But what it does is it really gives us some good insight into each of those main characters very quick, quickly. We see Peter. He's never happy. He's constantly kind of the grass is greener on the other side as he's going between the different things. Um, We get a little bit about just Michael Bolton. And, you know, I don't know. He's he's kind of off. He's a little, um, I don't know, not, not quite fake, but he's like cranking up the rap in his thing. And then then, you know, a guy trying to sell a black guy who's trying to sell, I think, flowers or something is walking by and he locks his car so he's just kind of i don't know he's insecure yeah. i guess I'll, I'll we'll put it on that um and then samir is a little bottle of rage um <laughs> kind of thing uh we definitely but more so to me we get milton as a very he's a he's a dependent him he's where everyone else is driving to work he's taking the bus so right there he's kind of more of a dependent kind mm-hmm. of character and he's mumbling to himself so he's kind of just i don't know he's a little different a little off 
that you see. And Bill, all he has to do is park his Porsche with the vanity plate saying my Porsche into a reserved fucking spot. And he gets out and he has like straps on and just like that very bossy, awful look mm-hmm. to him. And you, you get immediately get douche. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and all that said in like this two minute, you know, three minute opener. And I think that's actually pretty damn strong. I agree. Uh, all right. Peter gets to work. We kind of see this door handle always zaps him uh, with static electricity. It's just obviously something that he hates. I mean, he's he hates a lot of things about work, and this is just one of many. I have one phrase for you, John. Corporate counts payable, Mina speaking. Just a moment. Corporate counts are payable, Mina speaking. Just a moment. Corporate accounts payable, Mina speaking. Just a moment. Corporate accounts payable, Mina speaking. Just a moment. Uh, that gets stuck in your head. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just this working in a cubicle job like that where the entire like warehousey looking floor is covered and you're just hearing everything and seeing everything. I've never worked in a cubicle setting. Have you? Mm, No, not really. Yeah, I've worked in big office settings, um, but it's been like, what is the new hip idea, which is open floor plans? Mm -hmm. Now, that's nice for for getting uh, natural light and stuff like that around, you know, you can see windows and outdoors and stuff like that. But where I had a problem with it was you couldn't really personalize some space. You couldn't put up pictures on like a cubicle wall or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And like, there was a point where I was just like, fuck this open floor plan. Give me a goddamn (laughs) cubicle so I can like have my space and be comfortable. It's like my own little office space. Right. Uh, and, And so when I've had jobs where I've had my own office, if obviously having your own office is great, you can shut a door and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but it's just like, you know what? Cubicles aren't as terrible as everybody says. You know, they have they have become a shitty rap as for like, you know, you're just, you know, wheels in the cog or you're all just lemmings kind of right. bullshit. But I can tell you, working in open floor plans, it made me kind of wish I had some kind of privacy, a little bit of privacy, because you can't. You look straight across and you're always looking at other people or everybody can see you or see your screen or other things that you can't take like, you know, harder to take a little break and just be like, okay, I need a mental break and watch a YouTube video and all this kind of shit. And it's just I I didn't care for that. And I felt like I was maybe I was grass is greener. And I was like, (laughs) I thought that was, you know, but I get it. Are you you saying it's 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 hard to jerk off on on, in the office when (laughs) everyone's watching? You find your ways, (laughs) but it is harder. (laughs) So. All right, so uh, Bill Lumberg, uh, he eventually gets to Peter's cubicle, complaining about these goddamn TPS cover sheets, and it is funny. I mean, it's something that just becomes iconic mm-hmm. for you know for the movie, and just something that like everyone in a white collar setting probably you know after this movie kind of started ingraining itself into the pop culture, started making TPS report jokes. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. We also see Milton is kind of, you know, awkwardly listening to his music too loud and or not too loud, but he's just, you know, he's an awkward guy and and Peter's trying to, I don't know, he's trying to survive the day and it's only Monday. Mm-hmm. Then another manager goes to Peter's office to his cubicle and starts pressing on him on the fucking TPS cover cover sheets. And then also he gets a call. And again, it's just you just hear his reactions. He's like, yes, I got the memo. Uh, it's funny. I mean, it, to me, it's really hammering that feeling of annoyance and a lack of being heard in the everyday white collar worker because none of the managers, no one else is actually listening to him. So he has to explain it to, as he's put it later, eight different bosses. Yeah, it does hit a little home because I've been I've worked enough in offices to be like, yeah, I feel bad. And it it sucks where, you know, you do one thing wrong and then everybody slams you for it. 
Uh, Samir gets a paper jam, and he's pissed at the printer. That's something that will just kind of keep coming back. As somebody who uh, has worked, uh, you know, in a in a school where a bunch of teachers have to share like one, you know, two uh, or yeah. three copy machines, I understand his rage. Yeah, <laughs> I've luckily never had to do anything like that, um, but I, I would imagine that is oh, just it's just the worst. Yeah, I will say one of my one of my biggest pet peeves, and my my wife knows this. If you really want to piss me off when technology doesn't work like it's supposed to, I'm not changing my method, but for some reason, the technology has decided it's going to fuck up or not do its job. And like that just pisses me off. And unfortunately, all that stuff happens way too much. But technology is great until it isn't. Yeah. Um, we find out Michael Bolton's last name is Bolton and just that he hates it. And it's just going to be another little running gag that pops up throughout. Peter comes over and he, you know, just he needs a break immediately. It's probably, hell, it's probably he got there at nine, probably 10 o'clock <laughs> right. right now. He needs to, to get out and get some kind of coffee or something. Uh, then this one lady walks by. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> you, just, you just know Peter wants to turn around and deck her in the face. Yeah. I like it. But it's fun. I mean, again, it's just using all of these stereotypes that we've all seen from different shows or just, you know, being in the office or, you know, like the Kathy cartoons and that kind of shit of right. Mondays and all this kind of stuff. And um, and part of it is, is it's fucking true. Yes. It's <laughs> so, not wrong. No. Uh, over at the at the restaurant that they're at called Chotsky's, um, we get a waiter who is just a – I don't know how to uh, – he's just a bit extra. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to call him, but That's like – That's a good way. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, Peter's just kind of overall kind of complaining about things. Uh, and Michael mentions just kind of off the cuff very, um, briefly that, oh yeah, man, they need to treat us software people better because, you know, I could create a virus that could take this whole place down. We see that, uh, Peter has a crush on a waitress there played by Jennifer Aniston's character, but he's also trying to make it work with his current girlfriend. And, you know, there's a slight little running gag, which I'm not going to really mention much more about. <laughs> You know, I feel like she's cheating on me, and other people are like, yeah, I see what you mean. As if, like, they're – Peter gets a bit defensive about it. Right. <laughs> you know, they're just saying, like, oh, I, I understand. And I've seen people like that who I'm like, yeah, you seem like the kind of person who would cheat, but – Do you think that they all – Banged her? Banged her, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that. I, I, I think Michael is too insecure about himself to do that to a friend, and I think Lawrence is too honest of a guy to do that to his friend. Yeah, but I'm I get the I get the impression that Lawrence probably heard some stuff. Oh yeah, Lawrence was on the other side of that wall jerking his gherkin <laughs> like nobody's business. But I don't think he uh, he did anything. Okay. With <laughs> okay. So he mentions that he's going to be Peter mentions that he's going to be going to an ocu- occupational hypnotherapist, which is not a real job to my knowledge, but <laughs> maybe who knows? Who knows? Very hippie shit. Maybe it is now. May, yeah, very yeah, could be. Uh, all right, so as they come back to work, we meet this guy, Tom, who is, and I can't remember his, uh, this actor's name, but he is one of those character actors that you mentioned earlier, who he's just, he pops up in things. Oh, yeah. And he's just, he's funny. He's really good. He is really good as like a, you know, come in and be a side guy. His name is Richard, I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to get this last name, Richard Ryle, R-I-E-H-L-E, okay. Riley, I don't know. I mean, he's been in everything. Yeah. Yeah, I'm he, seeing, he, holy crap. I, I was scrolling on his IMDb, and, like, the first almost 20 things are stuff that's still yet to come out. Like, the guy <laughs> gets fucking... He's got 405 credits. Yeah. Dude gets work. And just tons of stuff. And he's 
he's good. He's fun as a as a side dude. Yeah. So he tells them, you know, he's he's obviously a, a nervousy kind of dude. Tells them about Inatech is downsizing and they're bringing in these consultants. So okay, something that will come up. Uh, back at the cubicle, uh, the guys talk about you know what happens if they get fired. Peter mentions oh this whole guidance counselor thing that you know he did when he was a, was in was in school. Oh, what would you do if you had a million dollars? You know, and then what you what you said you would do is kind of what you should do as a career. You know, you should always do what your passion is. I say fuck that. <laughs> and I've and I, this is coming from a man who went into a job that was his passion, which is filmmaking. Not saying I don't dislike what I do. I enjoy what I do. But if I could go back and like get a more mundane job where I had more time to myself and I didn't have to like put in so many odd weird hours. If I had like a simple nine to five that I could clock the fuck out mentally. <laughs> thing is like you can't clock out mentally when with some jobs. That's true. A job where sometimes you have to film over weekends or late hours or other stuff. Like if you're working at a company that they close at five and customers can't come in anymore, they fucking close at five. And then you can do what the hell you want with the rest of your day, and you know your routine. Humans love routine. That's true. And so it's like, you can kind of do your own thing, and if you're making bank doing it, some of those jobs make real fucking money. Because I can tell you, some of those other passion jobs, <clears throat> uh, filmmaking, don't <laughs> make big fucking money unless you're at the, at the top of your field, and I'm yeah. not at the top of my field, and I never will be. I mean, I'm good, certainly, but... <laughs> Unfortunately, it seems like, much like... The music business, it seems like the filmmaking mm-hmm. business, it is largely in who you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you have the connection to get that higher job, maybe you can get there. But there are a lot, like I said, there are a lot of really talented musicians out there who will never get to do, you know, yeah. nearly half of the stuff that people like Britney Spears got to do or anything. Yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. not to call her countless or no, anything like that but, but there are there's other people who have just as good a voice who are just as gorgeous and have all that kind of you know mm-hmm. appeal and and um charisma but she was in the right place at the right time yep. and all that kind of stuff and sometimes in those mundane jobs yeah you just kind of you grind and it fucking works uh, that's that's why i switched from teaching high school to teaching elementary school was because when mm-hmm. i was teaching high school band um, I was always at the school. I was there for you know marching band rehearsals mm. and football games and basketball games and you know after school rehearsals for the musical and all this stuff. I mean, I made the switch so I could spend more time with my kids, which I have yeah. and which I've really enjoyed and loved. And so when I went to elementary school, it was I went, I got in, went through the day. As soon as the day was over, I left, and I never have yeah. to go back. Yeah. So I, I it afforded me a lot more time to. Spend time with the kids, and I actually got to start doing more things that I personally enjoyed for myself. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And like people, people are like, "Oh yeah, you know, you should for your work do what you love." And that was the whole guidance counselor idea, right? And that's something. But the thing is, when you get home, you have time to have hobbies, right? You know, if you're having like a nine to fiver, you can still do your own thing. Like hell. We've been able to do this for a long time, doing our podcasting. This is one of our hobbies. Yeah. And we enjoy it. This is how we get our, our creative outlet. And I started doing this thing with you back when I was a manager. Um, and I certainly, that wasn't much of a nine to five because I was having, a, having to answer questions to people all the goddamn time. <laughs> but it was a way for me to get my creative outlet out. Yeah. And so it was really nice. And you know what? People, you're allowed to have hobbies. You're allowed to go do stuff. And it's not like your job is your only thing about yourself. So it's like, I would probably much rather go back and make as much money as I can, um, as quick as I can, so that I can then use that money to go travel, go do shit. And because grinding my ass for the rest of my life in a job that I really like is okay, 
but now I'm not going to be able to spend as much time doing other things that I like. Yeah. Like traveling and other shit like that because I'm not making as much. I don't know. I'm, I'm sounding very Peter. This is turned into a <laughs> diatribe of, you know, uh, grass is greener. But anyway, you know what, John? PC load letter. The fuck does that mean? PC load letter? The fuck does that mean? So I'm going to transition this. And apparently that was an improvised line. Oh, really? But apparently, uh, from what I read, there was more dialogue, but that error message came up and he didn't know what it was, and so he just blurted out, <laughs> what the fuck is that? I mean, it's a great line. It is. Yeah, Mike, Michael's fucking with that printer right now, and it, it, I've absolutely said that line a couple times where... <laughs> You know, you're at a computer or am I like any kind of electronic thing and it's not working. And I just say that to myself. Yeah, it's good. Uh, at Peter's apartment, we kind of, you know, uh, meet his neighbor Lawrence through his wall. Uh, he wants to who can hear everything through his wall, shows him some breasts on TV, comes over. <laughs> it's like, OK, doesn't that chick look like Anne? I guess so. I, I didn't. I, you know what I didn't do is I go. I didn't go back and make a comparison and be like, OK, because we meet Anne later at the right. um, hypnotherapist's office. But anyway. And some more of that whole joke of the cheating on and cheating on him thing, and just kind of showing that that off that relationship is not going well. Uh, we also find out Lawrence is in construction, and he doesn't really deal with a lot of the same shit Peter does. He's a very laid back dude. Yeah. Peter complains about likely needing to go in on Sunday, uh, and Lawrence kind of gives him this plan to avoid Bill Lumberg and get his weekend back. Then Peter asks him that guidance counselor question, just because you know he wants to know what. What Lawrence would do he says, uh, "What would you do if you had a million dollars?" And he gives maybe the greatest response, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one of the better bits of dialogue ever, uh, where he says, "I tell you what I do." I tell you what I do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. He says it so dry, so honest, yeah. and I'm just like, "Fuck yeah, man." <laughs> That's, that's something he wants to do, and I love that. And, and his reasoning is is like spot on too. It, it is because I mean the types of chicks that would bang him would be the chicks that like a guy with money, right? <laughs> so it's good. And I've definitely used that line before. If somebody's asked you, "Oh, what would you do if you won the lottery?" <laughs> Two chicks at the same time, <laughs> just because it's great. Oh, but yeah, man. You know what? It always kind of annoyed me, like that kind of similar to that guidance counselor kind of thing. And this was particularly in like later high school and in college when I was getting my sense of humor a little bit, you know, uh, or, you know, it was becoming more of my own. You know, they, if everybody asks you, oh, what do you want to do when you graduate or, or, or what do you want to do when you get a job or what, what, what job do you want to get? And I would always answer trophy husband <laughs> and people would laugh. Oh, it's a joke. But at the same fucking time, goddamn right. That's what I want to do. <laughs> if I could be a made man and never have to work. And I could just be a trophy husband and be basically getting taken care of just for being me. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. That's the dream. Like everyone. Yeah. At the same time, my my job would be or my dream would be get a fuck ton of money and not have a job. Right. And I'll make I'll make podcasting my job. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I hate I hate, so I hate that question. Terrible fucking question. So <laughs> the other. All right. Sorry. I'm not going to go into that. Oh, no, no, I mean, well, no, you made me think of like the other question that, that gets asked a lot that I always think is a dumb question, which is if you could have any superpower, oh, I already have my answer. I already know what it would be. Yeah. See, I'm a nerd, though. I mean, we're both nerds into into that mentality. And so I don't I, I try. I kind of like think about that. And well, what, what would it be oh, for you? Easy. Omnipotence. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, just be fucking, you know, See, and everyone's like. If you if you had three wishes, I don't need three wishes. I can get it all done in the first one. Yeah. 
omnipotence. I want omnipotence. Okay, valid. That is that's damn. Shut me up on that one. I mean, pick a better pick a better power than that. Yeah, all the powers. I want. Yeah, you're that you're that asshole. You know where <laughs> you're playing. You know superheroes. You're like, oh yeah, I want all the powers. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. All right. I do like so Peter's answer on you know what he would do in general is he would do nothing. He just wants to sit and relax and sit on his ass all day. I get that. The next day we see them at the staff meeting. Uh, we uh, meet one of the consultants who is another absolutely amazing character actor, and we've talked him about uh, talked about him when we talked Scrubs. I'm mentioning John C. McGinley. He's great, great in everything he does. He does. Uh, he absolutely is. He's Dr. Cox in Scrubs for anybody, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, apparently, he auditioned for the role of Lumberg. Ah. Um, and then, but when Gary Cole was there, they, they just preferred him. They thought he was perfect. And so, but they uh, had this other role. And so they gave that to McGinley. Yeah. Uh, at Milton's desk, we see Milton and his swing line red stapler. Yep. This is one of the more famous things also that came out of this movie is a swing line red stapler. He's just overall complaining to Peter. He mumbles to himself a lot, that Milton, uh, kind of mumbling a lot of things about set, set, the, set the building on fire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and swing line did not make a red stapler. That's correct. The prop was made specifically for the movie. Now, after the movie kind of got cult status, swing line was inundated with requests for red staplers, and now they do make a red stapler. They do. I think it became one of their better selling staplers. I even have one on my desk uh, at my office. Nice. I fuck, uh, of course, I when I needed to get a stapler, I saw a red swing line. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but Peter, he's trying to get out of the office before Lumberg comes and finds him, trying to avoid him. And just as he thinks he gets away, there's Lumberg, uh, who tells him that he needs to come in on Saturday and Sunday. And fuck that guy as a manager. I mean, you <laughs> usually know that shit before, right before the fucking end of the day. Yeah. So to, uh, to say that to... One of your employees is an utter asinine thing. So, but it just show again reinforces he's a douche because he's he doesn't give a fuck. Right. He's just like, yeah. And he, uh, Gary Cole does a great job of just being so dry on this. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just so like, eh, whatever. Um, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay. At the uh, hypnotherapy session that night, Peter starts off just letting them know how much he hates his job and hates his life. It's a really good line of every day is worse than the before than the day before. And so every day. So the day that you're talking to me is immediately is my worst day that I've ever had in my life. Mm. And even even the therapist like, wow, that's messed up. <laughs> so do you recognize the therapist? Yeah, of course I did. Okay, good. It's uh, Mike McShane with a terrible toupee. Yes, I think it was, which is on purpose, obviously. <laughs> yes, uh, but I recognize him from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Uh, he did a whole bunch of episodes back in the British version that I remember most. But he's he's been in. He was in Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves. Oh yeah, he played. Yeah, he played Friar Tuck. Yeah, I forget that. I can't. We got, so. we got to get that on the docket somewhere. Yeah, that's a that's yeah, a good one to go over. Agreed. The therapist hypnotizes Peter into a completely calming and relaxation state. One with no care, no worries, no ambitions, but, and you know, to snap him out of it, he has to snap his fingers, but he has this big heart attack and he dies while Peter's in his state. And so now he's like in this forever uh, relaxed state going on right now. 
in the morning. Peter doesn't go in. Saturday, he's like, fuck it. He gets all these calls. Um, when he wakes up, it's kind of funny. He goes to his answering machine. Uh, hey, hi. Um, <laughs> um, hi there. And he's just skipping it. It's it's very good. Yeah, hi. It's Bill Lum. Yeah, it's... Yeah, hi. It's Bill Lumber. Yeah, it's me again. Uh, I was away from my desk for a minute. Just checking in. in case you and then Ann calls and he answers and she's pissed at him. Uh, wondering what he's, what's going on with him. And so she dumps him over the phone and she also very angrily says, Oh, and one more thing. I've been cheating on you! I've been cheating on you! So confirming that, but that's really the end of it. Uh, On Monday, Peter goes to Tchotchke's and asks out that waitress that he said he's just been too nervous to ask out. Uh, We also see that Tom is being interviewed by the consultants and he's really freaking out. So now there's this other consultant that they have too, and I can't I can't remember off the top of my head that guy's name. Uh, I'm looking at IMDb, and his name is Paul Wilson, but he's another kind of not as big as some of those other characters, but he is someone who you're like, oh, I've, oh yeah, I've seen you before. Yeah. So Tom is freaking out. They're like, my favorite line of this little section is when uh, John C. McGinley's character they're trying to probe him for like what his exact job is, and they can't really find out his usefulness. And and McGinley's like, what what would you say? You do here. (laughs) And he he unfortunately doesn't have any fucking answer to it because, you know what? His job probably is just a waste of money. (laughs) So, uh, all right. Then Michael goes in uh, and they talk about, oh, his name is Bolton. And, of course, the consultants love Michael Bolton's music when Michael obviously seems to only listen to, like, hip-hop and other stuff like that. He hates Michael Bolton. Which was probably, like, an intentional thing on his part. Like I get, I get the sense that he went hard in the opposite direction of Michael Bolton to distance yeah. himself from the singer. I would agree. Yeah, um, but to try and save his job and save face, he's kind of faking the whole. Oh, I, I like Michael Bolton too, which I find it kind of funny. At this time, Michael Bolton was seen as a very uncool, yeah, uh, musician. Then he started doing some of these funny things with like oh, was that, like Lonely Island or other stuff like that, right? Like on YouTube and stuff like that. And then now Michael Bolton's kind of seen as like okay, that dude can take a joke. He 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 understood that he was so lame that he kind of turned it into a joke on himself, and people like him for that. I know. Yeah. You know the funny thing is, if you go back and listen, he's a great singer. He really is. When a man loves a woman, yeah. I mean. For my money, John, nothing beats when he sings when a man loves a woman. <laughs> when a man loves a woman Can't keep his mind on nothing else He takes the world for the good things found If she is bad, he can't see I actually but- have a college friend who was his touring trumpet player for a while. Yeah, well, I'm sure he's a good singer. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, he he was in the same boat as like a Kenny G. Yeah. Just, you know, I mean, known you, for me. You can laugh at them all they want, but those dudes were making bank. Yeah, they sell tons of fucking records and yeah, doing, doing solid. So Joanna does meet Peter for lunch. Uh, they go over to this other place called Flingers next door. And we learn about her pieces of flair, which she has to have a minimum of 15 pieces of flair uh, as a waitress at Tchotchke's. Um, and they also talk about his job, uh, that he does updating bank software for the 2000 switch. 
dated, yes, <laughs> but we understand it. Kind of to to me, it actually makes me a little bit more nostalgic because it's yeah. just kind of like, oh yeah, I remember the the hype of Y two K and oh god, if you don't update all the software, everything's gonna crash. Yeah, uh-huh. I remember. So. I remember the panic on on uh, New Year's Eve, nineteen ninety nine. I remember because I was in Florida with the UGA marching band for a bowl game oh. that we had the next okay. day. Or it was either that day or the next day. I can't remember if it was a New Year's Day or New Year's Eve game. Whatever, I can't even remember which game, which bowl it was. I think we were yep. I think think we were in Tampa. Okay. I don't know which bowl would have been the Tampa. I don't bowl. know either. But Peter has kind of decided that he's just not going to go to work anymore. He's done with it. Just very nonchalant about it. He's so, he's so chill and Joanna's kind of digging it. So she's into it. She's into him right now. Oh yeah, he also at this point he also mentions that he wants her to come over for dinner and to watch kung fu. <laughs> I always thought that was kind of interesting. Why they clung to the to the kung fu thing? Eh, it's something they both love. Yeah, I don't know. Not probably not a show that I plan on jumping on on this show anytime soon. No, but I do remember it was a it was a thing. It was on like what was it USA or TNT? One of those two. Yeah, whatever the re- reruns were. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the office, Lumberg is obviously making fun of Milton, like as he's talking to these consultants. And he kind of even, you see, tight on his lips, mentioning, took a stapler, uh, which Milton <laughs> Milton immediately gets defensive about his stapler. And Lumberg goes over and kind of, you know, he likes pushing Milton around. That's another thing that's really annoying about Lumberg is that he definitely throws his weight around at times. And, and with Milton, who is non-confrontational completely, he just pushes him around. He shoves, moves, tells him to move his desk different places, things like that. But here he takes his beloved stapler and uh, again, we get another little mumble of, okay, I'm going to set the building on fire. <laughs> just another little thing. Obviously, oh, Milton, you know, you're just, you're just, you're weak. Nothing's going to happen. You're not right. going to do shit. You're just going to little mumble to yourself and that's going to be that. So Peter pops into the office just to get his address book because he wants to write down Joanna's number. He's uh, supposed to be talking to the consultants right now. And he's like, yeah, fuck it. I guess I'll go do that. So he does. He walks in there uh, and he tells them exactly what a typical day is for him, which is, Nothing. Spaces out for a while, doesn't do shit, tries to avoid as much work as possible, and they are shocked. But it goes really well because he's honest to them, screams like he has potential, which, <laughs> interesting. We cut back uh, to Chachki's and we meet the Chachki's manager, who, um, one, is played by Mike Judge. Really? Yeah, the, the annoying uh, Chachki's manager is played by... You know, the, our director and our writer. So it's good to kind of see him in live action. Wow. And he, talk, he talks to Joanna about her lack of flair. She only has the minimum, which is 15. I mean, you know, he's like, you know, trying to push her to do more, um, which is very similar to like the, the Lumberg bullshit. You know, it's just to me, this this scene is kind of it works really well because it's just it's jabbing at the bullshit of management, you know, just the suckage of jobs. And like part of it is like if your minimum is 15, that's the minimum y'all set. Right. And someone's life doesn't have to be their job. Man, this is all right, this is gonna get existential for a minute. <laughs> I am really fucking sick and tired of manager and, and I've not that I've had to do this, but as a middle manager, you know, you get you get roped into some of this stuff. As a manager, you're always pushing for more from your employees. Mm-hmm. But like what you should be pushing is are they doing their job well enough? Like are they doing it well to what your standards are? Not everyone has to give more, but they have to do the job well. And it's like that pushing of, well, don't you want to be better? Don't you want to really prove yourself to me? Sometimes that's a big cop-out bullshit fucked hard thing to do. And we've come to this society that 
our jobs have to define us and have to become our identity that people do that. And like, it's just, and I'm an overachiever with stuff, but I, I uh, sometimes I enjoy that kind of shit. But at the same time, like you need the regular people to just make sure that the job gets done. And so like constantly pushing for everyone to overachieve only ends up fucking us as, as a society because then the norm will not be oh, what I did yesterday. Mm -hmm. The norm will constantly move upwards as we're all killing ourselves at a fucking job. Yeah, That's exactly, as weird as it says, this movie is not an existential movie, but it is a satire on jobs yeah. and, and your white-collar work and shit like that. And I think that's it, it is it is meant to make us think about that shit. And right now, it absolutely is. It's kind of being like, okay, fuck this shit. Like, we need to rise up against the system. That's what I said. We need to just fucking set the building on fire. That's what we needed to do. Well said, Adam. Yeah, thank you. So, in a meeting with consultants uh, and the managers, we find out that Milton was apparently laid off years ago, uh, but there was some miscommunication, and he kept getting a check, and I guess he just kept uh, working, and they said they fixed the glitch. So, as opposed to being confrontational, they're just going to let let it run its course, mm -hmm. if you will. Very, again, bullshit upper management <laughs> kind of thing to do. Yeah. So... They then pull up Peter's file, and they talk about how he is perfect for upper management. Lumberg disagrees, and, you know, they feel he's not really been challenged and all this kind of stuff. And then they have a funny little thing where they pull out Lumbergs and kind of, like, doing an interview with them. Right. Um, just to show, like, okay, no, these, these guys are fucking in charge. <laughs> so, you know, then comes a song I always associated with this movie, and that is Damn It Feels Good to Be a Gangster by Ghetto Boys. Yep. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. A real gangster-ass nigga plays his cards right. A real gangster-ass nigga never runs his mouth because real gangster-ass niggas don't start fights. And niggas always got a high cap. Showing all these boys how we shot them. But real gangster-ass niggas don't flex nuts because real gangster-ass niggas know they got them. And everything's cool. In the yeah, that one starts playing. Uh, we kind of have a montage of Peter's day. But I just... I've always, that one, I, I, hell, I remember like ripping it off Napster back in the day and, and putting it onto a playlist because that, that to me, that is easy, like the best song on this, uh, on this whole movie, the soundtrack, which has a pretty damn good, uh, soundtrack to it. Yeah. So, so we have that montage. We see Peter, you know, he goes to work. Uh, he parks in Lund Lundberg's reserve spot because Peter doesn't give a fuck anymore. And instead of, you know, getting shocked by the door, he, uh, takes a power drill and drills off the handle. <laughs> He's being a gangster right now. Yep. Uh, we see him watching Kung Fu with Joanna. He's fishing, you know, with Joanna and Lawrence. He's gutting his fish over TPS reports, <laughs> pushing over a cubicle wall, not giving a fuck about anything. So it's also nice to see that, you know, Lumberg can't push him around anymore. And Lumberg at this point is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because he can't really fire him because the uh, consultant guys are in love with him. Yeah. So he's kind of fucked. And so instead, Lumberg decides to go over to push Milton some more. And so he does that exactly, who kind of mentions, you know, that he hadn't received his paycheck and all this kind of shit. And, uh, and then at the end of this one, mumbles, I believe you have my stapler. Yeah, I, I believe you have my stapler. He Peter went to go talk to the Bobs, the consultants. Uh, they tell him that they are going to fire Samir and Peter, which is a bad call on their part. They should have not mentioned that to... Peter, but they're saying that because they're going to hire uh, some, how they put it, people right out of college and then ship a whole bunch of jobs like overseas, standard procedure. Mm -hmm. And part of me is like, fuck, God, that hurts. I mean, I've been laid off from a job before. Mm -hmm. It 
sucks. And it absolutely does feel like you go back to see who they hire and it's like people who have not been doing it for six, seven years. It's, it's right out of school. People that they can get for way cheaper. And it's all just, it's a piece of, sh- it's, it's crap. You know, or companies who hire nothing but kids from the start and then complain, why aren't they doing better? Because they just have went to fucking school. Yeah. They need like years of experience to do it well right off the bat. Why don't you pay people what they fucking deserve and you'll get, you know, real shit. That's why I'm pro-union. All right. I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> I'm pro-union. I was in the Editor's Guild. Unions are a good thing. It's not. I mean, there's good and bad with everything, of course, but unions are there to help build up wages of the working class and to help protect them on stuff. And they've been absolutely destroyed by this mentality. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Fucking uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, He started that kind of bullshit. He was the union buster. Fuck him. And the working class has been hurting more and more ever since. So fuck that. All right. All right. That's my two cents. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) all right peter also finds out they're gonna promote him (laughs) so yeah he'll be in charge of like you know four new people so it's ridiculous it's exactly opposite of what you would expect to happen because uh samir and michael are trying to be exemplary while peter's not giving any fucks and they're getting fired and he's getting promoted so we call that failing upwards yes and i know some god damn it i've had friends who do that And it pissed me off, man. Pissed a couple of us off. So like a job that I got laid off for, I had a friend who all he did was complain. And he never really like, to me, showed real monster promise. And he kept getting promotions and everyone else kept getting looked over. And it's just like, fucking seriously? (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't get it. But I mean, a good dude, but yeah. I'm not saying any names specifically. (laughs) So, all right. That night, Peter tells Samir and Michael about, you know, the plan that's going to happen, that they're going to get fired. And Peter, you know, asks about virus that we heard about earlier and that it would um, design to do is take out the fractions of a cent that usually get rounded off. uh, And he would put those into an account that they they could access and whatnot. And Peter convinces him and convinces Michael and uh, Samir to do it. At Inatech, we get more good use of hip-hop here. Uh, this song is Down For Whatever by Ice Cube. Here comes the big-headed nigga that's dipping, sipping on Kovacia. Goddamn, I must have the floss today. Now pimping ain't easy, but it's necessary. So I'm chasing bitches like Tom Chase Jerry. I put the pedal to the floor in my two-tone Ford Explorer. You know how it's done. And they're doing this as a you get a quick little montage uh, of them handing off the virus on a floppy disk. Oh, floppy disk yeah. and loading the virus into, you know, the, the mainframe area that Peter has access to. And it went very I also like that, you know, it seems so dramatic and badass with the music. And then it's like cut and it's done. It's like, well, that was pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> a little joke on how all the, this should be. Ultimately, this should be like the climax of the movie or like of the climactic action moment. And it was just like, you know, they had like some intense music for it. And then it was just like, oh, yeah, that was easy. Not not that hard. (laughs) So uh, we then meet this guy, Drew, who also works there, comes out of nowhere. God, Drew. Drew is a fratty douche turd, isn't he? (laughs) Yes. So he tells them about Tom, who apparently got hit by a drunk driver. And he's going to be getting a big settlement. Lucky bastard (laughs) kind of thing. And he's going to throw a party. Uh, and he and Drew tells everybody, oh, yeah, he's going to take this girl from whatever accounting or whatever. Going to show her his O face. Oh, oh, oh. Things go well. I might be showing her my O face. 
Oh, oh, oh. You know what I'm talking about. Oh. <laughs> I always forget that this movie started that yeah, for me. It, like, for a lot of... I mean, that is... I feel like that's a... I mean, O-Face has become pretty popular slang yeah. usage. As far as I remember, as far as I know, that was my first time ever hearing of that. I'm sure it wasn't the first time, but that was, I think this is what put it into popular usage. Yeah. And we've been showing our O-Faces for years since. <laughs> but it is good. I li- yeah, never heard, I, same thing. I'd never heard O-Face before this film, so I'm pretty sure it started that. Um, at the end of their last day, Peter stole something, a little present, if you will, for Michael and Samir. And we get some more good hip-hop here. Uh, this is another song. This one's called Still by Ghetto Boys. And it's them attacking the prince, the printer that he brought, mm-hmm. and they are just beating that thing. A fantastic scene of them destroying it. I mean, it, it's almost like a parody of they're doing like they're off doing a hit on somebody, right. you know, like, like a gangster film kind of thing, but they're in the middle of nowhere and they're beating the shit out of it. I love how Michael particularly is going off <laughs> um, and he <laughs> throws a bat and just starts punching it with his hands and they have to drag him away and then he goes back for another kick. Uh, that's good. I wonder how many uh, pieces of office equipment were destroyed in this manner after this movie yeah. became popular. <laughs> you are not wrong. I th- this this was yeah a pretty iconic scene for it. I feel like it's been parodied by other people. Oh yeah. And so yeah, you're right. I absolutely bet you know when they when when places were gonna be like okay we're just gonna recycle or throw away this printer. Hey, do you want to go office space this shit? And like that <laughs> exactly. that happens now. <laughs> So, all right. And we also get a, you know, them just kind of celebrating, dancing, fun little dancing and getting drunk scene. Then that morning, Joanna, who had come over for the end of the night, um, she's she is just in a T-shirt. God, I have to say, fuck, Jennifer Aniston is sexy. <laughs> Late 90s Jennifer Aniston is she's a, is top tier. She's a good looking woman. Yeah. So her just kind of in a, in a T-shirt is very attractive to me. Um, but she's asking, oh, what were they celebrating? And even though Peter promised and they all swore not to say anything, he tells her what they were doing as they're driving over to the party. She kind of calls him out for stealing. Yeah. So she's she's kind of a, you know, an honest person herself. But uh, at the uh, party, Tom, we see him. He's fucked up physically. He's in a full body cast (laughs) in a wheelchair. But he's in great spirits. Super happy. He even made a shitty jump to conclusions, Matt, that he was talking about with them earlier. (laughs) Uh, We also see... Drew, that fratty douche, that he's there. He's talking to Peter about Joanna. Mentions that she gets around and like a record. Hell, Lumberg fucked her. And now Peter's like, what? Lumberg? Oh, shit, he's pissed about that. And on the drive back, he calls her out, you know, because he just can't get over it. You know, she's rightfully pissed back at him. It's none of his goddamn business what she did on her own time before yeah. they ever met and that kind of stuff. Um, so he's he is unnecessarily upset about her own life and her own um, love life. Yeah. So uh, that night, Peter dreams about Lumberg fucking her. And <laughs> it's just a funny little dream thing. It's, you get Lumberg, uh, Bill Lumberg with a foot, you know, on his, as if he's doing something. Um, and just him kind of doing his own, yep, uh, his own kind of dry humor, drinking his coffee and all with cuts of Drew and his oh face, oh, oh, <laughs> uh, that kind of stuff. It's it's quite humorous. Um, back at Tchotchke's, the manager, again, talks to Joanna about her flair. And this is the last drop for her, for her, and she says, fuck this, and she's pissed, and she flicks him off and basically quits right there and then. Well, the funny thing is, is later she says she was fired. 
I noticed that too, and I it, it definitely confused me because it's an obvious quit. Like, yeah, she says, "I've had it. I've had enough with this job. I don't need it." And you walk out. That's not getting fired. That's, That's quitting. Quitting. Yeah. So I don't know. Peter checks the account that they had. It should only oh, have. I will say this. Hmm. I did learn this when I used to work at a, a store called Media Play. Oh yeah. If you just up and quit, the company will register it as being fired. Oh, okay. Not as you quit. Interesting. I wonder why they do that. I don't know. Or at least that's mm. what Media Play did. But then on the other hand, if you did that, wouldn't that then make them susceptible for having to pay for unemployment? No. Uh, well, I don't believe so. Okay. Well, I believe if you're fired for incompetence, I don't believe you are susceptible to unemployment. If you get like laid off for reasons that the company just can't afford oh, okay. or can't, you know, is, is downsizing or something like that. Then, cause I got severance from my being laid off, right. but there were other people who had been fired and they didn't get, and you don't get any severance for actually being fired. Okay. Uh, all right. So Peter checks the account, uh, which only should have maybe a couple cents in it right. at most by now. And this got over $300,000. <laughs> oh shit. Now they're worried they're going to get caught. Uh, we then cut to the office with a very, Super enthusiastic happy birthday uh, <laughs> little call to Bill, the boss. It was reminiscent of some birthday songs and shit at, at you know, everybody get together for cake. Man, I hate the birthday song. I'm not going to lie. I do too. I really hate I really hate having to sing it. I don't like it being sung to me. I just yeah, don't like it. Exactly. If I'm ever at a restaurant with anyone listening to this podcast right now and you tell the people that I'm having a birthday and they come and do a fucking song, <laughs> I will slit your throat. I fucking hate that. I don't want that goddamn attention. Yeah. I don't want their fucking song. So don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just a funny little thing. Jabbing at Milton again. Uh, they're passing out this cake and everybody gets a piece of cake but Milton. Yeah. And he's upset about it and he mumbles, mumbles something about fire again to himself. Oh, Milton. You're not going to do shit. We also see that Milton has now been pushed down to the basement area uh, where his new desk is. It's just that really Lumberg basically is just pushing him and pushing him because they're like, hey, we're not going to pay him anymore. Just get this guy out of here. We're not going to tell him he's fired. We're just going to let the problem go away. I'll be honest. Here's the thing. Like, I'll be honest. Like, if it was at the point where I stopped receiving a paycheck, I would stop showing up. Yeah, of course. But Milton's weak, John. He's never going to fix that. He's just always going to be a dependent little weak turd, right? Uh, We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, Lumberg even turns the lights out on him, and uh, Lumberg walks away because they find out, oh, shit, there's a whole bunch of money missing. And But Milton mentions to himself, okay, that's the last straw. Peter, Michael, and Samir are trying to figure out what they're going to do. They decide, they think, oh, we should launder money. They're trying to figure out how to launder money. Funny. I think it's a funny little scene because it's like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> trying to figure that out. But here Peter finds out that Joanna slept with a different Lumberg. It wasn't Bill Lumberg. It was some other guy. So it's like, you know, he's just been an idiot. Oh, but that's okay. Yeah. That's, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but then a former crack addict comes to sell some magazine subscriptions to the door. Uh, and they ask him about laundering because he knows drugs and that stuff, uh, which he actually ends up not being <laughs> a real crack a, addict. You know, a real crack addict. But that guy is Orlando Jones, yeah. who was in uh, another good kind of character, comedic actor. Yep. He was in Evolution, um, but also in Mad TV. Along with uh, with David Herman. Yeah. Evolution's another one I'd like to get to. I haven't seen that in a long time. I remember, God, I think I was in college. I watched that movie a lot. That was on pretty heavy rotation for us. Yeah, I think it, I enjoyed it, but I never really went back to it. But that's the one with uh, David Duchovny, yep. Sean, Sean William Scott. 
Sean William Scott and then and then Orlando Jones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do remember that one being pretty, pretty Christy and I watched that a lot when I was in college. After she okay. after she and I moved in together, it was one of our mm-hmm. go-to movies. I do like this line. Another line, bit of dialogue that I end up saying eh, often enough if it's, if it is needed. We get caught laundering money. We're not going to White Collar Resort Prison. No, no, no. We're going to federal pound me in the ass prison. And if I ever hear the words federal prison, pound me in the ass is immediately what I'm saying next. <laughs> <laughs> Peter decides to write a confession um, and also put all the money into, you know, into traveler's checks into a, an envelope and he's going to go drop it off and, and basically, you know, confess and, and, you know, take responsibility for what he's done. So, um, but before he does that, he goes to see Joanna, who's now working at Flingers. They kind of make up a little bit mm-hmm. before this extra waiter guy kind of very <laughs> creepily flicks her back. I always thought that was funny. Yeah. That guy, I'm glad he got an, an extra little scene in there. Whoa. Hey, what's going on here? Get a room, you two. Me. <laughs> I hate that guy. But uh, so that night, Peter puts the confession under Lumberg's office door, and then in the morning, Milton, who's trying to find his stapler, walks into Lumberg's office, uh, trying to get that. We notice that there's the note uh, with the or the envelope with the stuff in there on the floor as Milton is walking in. So I have this question for you because my wife and I discussed mm-hmm. this in the scene. So. You know, Peter puts the thing under the door and then, like, quickly has, like, a, a second thoughts and tries to dive back under to get it and then just kind of relents and goes. Yeah. Milton just walks back in. Does that mean that Lundberg's office was open the whole time? Because Lundberg wasn't in yet. No, you're right. The uh, secretary did say that Lundberg's not in yet. Yeah. I don't know if she would have unlocked it. But, but then usually... wouldn't she have seen the... Yeah, true. So that means that Peter could have just opened the door. And probably. You're probably right that he didn't think about just trying the door. <laughs> huh. So anyway, Peter's starting to say his goodbyes to different people, and including saying his goodbye to Lawrence. And, you know, he's ready to go face the music, likely go to jail. And Lawrence gives him a, a bit of sage advice. Hey, Peter. Yeah. Watch out for your cornhole, bud. Watch out for your cornhole, buddy. <laughs> So so wise. Yeah. I love Lawrence. He has a lot. As Peter gets to Inatech, the building is ablaze. And we just see kind of Milton sheepishly walking around. And Peter's just laughing to himself. We cut to Lawrence digging up ashes. And Peter's now working with him in construction. You know, This is like maybe a couple weeks from now or four or, or a month or something. Michael and Samir stop by. And they're working at a different place called Inatrode. It's the same kind of bullshitty spot you could imagine and they're curious if all the money burnt up and you know what's going on and uh peter seems happy in his role as construction dude lawrence seemed like a pretty happy guy so i think mm-hmm. that makes sense for peter yeah then we cut to milton on a beach resort mumbling him to himself <laughs> about bad quote-unquote service or shit like that and so we can all definitely obviously conclude that milton burned up the place and he did find the uh traveler's checks uh that were in Lumberg's office, and uh, he is now going to live the good life. A little bit smarter than people give him credit for. He is. And the, the movie kind of ends, at least with his uh, his mumbling, which is just funny. Mm-hmm. I always I like that. Then for the credits, we get kind of name tags with some video of each person. Which I appreciate. Yes! Mentioned it before, and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a good thing. I like this. Yeah. Uh, another hip-hop song plays called Shove This J-O-B by Cannabis and Biz Marquee. Shove it. 
And that's the end of Office Space. John, would you kind of give us your your overall thoughts on this film? I still enjoyed it. I still thought it was funny. I think everything still landed. As you mentioned, like the Y2K thing dates it. But even then, it's only mentioned once, really, and it's mm-hmm. in passing, so it's not it's not anything that really dates the movie. Um, you know, I think we can all relate to kind of being unhappy in our jobs, and that in that it makes the movie kind of universal that way. And the jokes are still funny. It's still it's still I still enjoyed it. Yeah, my thoughts absolutely mim- mimic yours. Um, this holds up, and as a satire on like the mundane white collar life it absolutely uh, fits and it absolutely is something that we can all relate to exactly it says very relatable film everyone has that mind-numbingness of a job or the redundantness and they're starting hating it and, you know and this film works in telling that people's stories and, and just you know having that little bit uh, i'd say even now even maybe more so now we're just living in a world of quarantine for a lot of people and you know everyone's kind of dealing with the mundane where they can't go out and do stuff. So <laughs> this this movie might be more relevant than ever, even though yeah. it was set back in 1999. So, um, yeah, this film is definitely worth a watch. And so many good lines. Yeah. The dialogue is fantastic. Mike, Mike Judge did a great job of having very memorable and long-lasting pop culture phrases. Yeah, it's highly quotable. Yes, highly quotable film. So fucking A. I mean, this is a damn good movie. Yeah. All right, now we are moving on to Mike Judge's most famous work, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But King of the Hill that we'll be talking about, well, we'll just be talking about our casting later. Maybe, I mean, it lasted for longer, yeah. and I think it probably penetrated more different cultures. Right. Everybody loved that one. For, I, it really hit like the um, kind of like the blue collar worker crowd. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people who are like very kind of conservative y stuff uh, who would probably hate Beavis and Butthead, but. Really enjoyed King of the Hill. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, sort of internet memes comes off of King of the Hill. Okay. Which one's that? Uh, it's the one uh, where he, he goes, ah, medium, perfect, rare. And then Bobby goes, what do you, what do we do if somebody wants theirs well done? Well, son, we ask them politely but firmly to leave. Okay. Because to me, there's nothing worse than an overdone steak. I know. You're such a pretentious cook with yeah, that. Damn right I am. <laughs> Cause how dare someone have a preference that's not yours? Exactly. Because when it, I, I <laughs> listen, if you're if you're expecting me to cook the damn steak, I'm going to cook the steak the way I want it. Fair enough. If, I, if I'm at my house, you're eating it my way. You know, I'm not being paid as your cook. All right. Plus, I've worked in steakhouses and I know what they do to those steaks that people order medium rare. So, or not medium rare, uh, well done. Well, what do they do, John? Uh, if you order a steak well done, you are getting the worst possible cut that they have. Mm. In fact, we had a bin specifically for well done. It was just a, a, like all of the horrible cuts, like the worst cuts that came in. Like if they if they somehow gave us like a, a one that was like a low quality or something, that got chopped up for well done steaks. Okay, I mean, it makes sense. It dries them all out completely. Yeah, they, and they're not going to waste harder to tell the difference. The quality meat on somebody who's just going to char it. Okay, uh, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, I mean, this was another huge pop culture thing uh, created by Mike Judge. The series originally ran on MTV for seven seasons from March 8th, 1993 to uh, 1997. Then 14 years after Mm. the end of the series, it was revived for an eighth season uh, in 2011. So, And then apparently there is a second revival that that is going to happen of two more seasons coming 
Uh, it was announced by Comedy Central this year yeah. uh, that they're going to bring back Beavis and Butthead, and it's going to be for um, two seasons starting next se- next year in 2021. I don't know which why. I don't think any. I, I don't think anybody is asking for <sighs> this. <laughs> no, but no. All right. So, and then also, this movie had a theatrical uh, feature length film called Beavis and Butthead Do America that was released in 1996. Yeah. So, uh, and then the cast. This one's easy. Uh, both Beavis and Butthead were voiced by Mike Judge. Yeah. Hey, Butthead. Did we do that right? Uh, I don't know. And that everybody else is kind of small bit parts. I'm not even really mentioning anyone else in the cast. Yeah. John, just before we're not, not obviously not going into our final thoughts yet. I've got more to talk about. But did you watch the show when you were younger? I remember watching the show on occasion. I was not a huge fan. I remember when it came out. I was around. I was in middle school, and I remember it being like a lot of people like thinking it was a big deal. I, I remember our, our mother was not a big fan of us watching MTV, so I didn't get to watch it all the time. I think I've watched it a few episodes, but ultimately, like the one parts of it that I didn't mind, a lot of the a lot of it had to do with watching music videos. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, they did have a section of this um, every episode where they would watch music videos and kind of like. Mystery Science Theater right. 3000, like, make fun of them and jokes about stuff like that. Or or talk about how much they were loving it if it was, like, particularly, like, a grungy yeah. or punky or, or metal song or yeah. something. They had... Uh, but, yeah. The, the, one I, the one episode I always do remember watching was they had uh, Helmet. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. What was that? The one song. <laughs> I should know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I should know the yeah, name off right. the top of my head, but the one helmet song. The one helmet song. Exactly. We talked about yeah. it. Uh, but they had the video on and they I remember like they loved meantime. it. Meantime. No, not meantime. That's the name of the album. Oh, wasn't it? Damn it. Um uh, but they I remember they're like, Oh, this is cool. And I'm like, Oh, they love helmet as if I suddenly cared about what they thought, but <laughs> so Yeah, I remember yeah. watching a few episodes, but ultimately it was not something I was into. Yeah, I I'm very similar, um, probably because we're brothers and I just it wasn't one that appealed to me all that mm-hmm. much as a kid. I, I don't think I understood much of the humor. I thought it was just eh, kind of just dumb crass yeah. stuff that just didn't hit me at that time. I know I, I really appreciated crass humor, obviously even at this time I, I liked Rocco's Modern Life or Ren and Stimpy, but it was a different kind of crass. And then when I'm older, I like South Park. But Beavis and Butthead just kind of hit me in this in-between stage where it wasn't real, or this stage where I, I wasn't really into that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, but these two characters, both Beavis and Butthead, I mean, they're just dim-witted idiots. Uh, they go to school at Highland High. It's located in Highland, Texas. They were basically either, in, in, in most of the show, they're either at school or out causing mayhem mm-hmm. or trying to do some stupid scheme thing or being lazy and watching TV and, and talking about metal or talking about sex or talking about violence. And my God, all the chuckling, so much chuckling in this show. If there was one thing that would make them think about an innuendo or, or you know, something sexual at all, they would just, yeah. I mean, that's that to me that those chuckles are probably what the show is most <laughs> yeah. well remembered for yeah. is just them laughing themselves. Now, there's other things in pop culture that they kind of, um, you know, they kind of stuck around. I feel like uh, Beavis when he would, he just, his infatuation with fire, 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 yeah. cool, <laughs> fire. 
Fire! Fire! <laughs> <laughs> like he would do, and then also he would uh, put his shirt over his head right. uh, and Cornholio. I am Cornholio. I am Cornholio. I'm the great Cornholio. I am Cornholio. I am Cornholio. I am Cornholio. I am the great Cornholio. Keepy for my bunghole. Keepy for my bunghole. And even now today, I'll sometimes just put my hair, my ha- uh, my shirt up like that for no real reason, <laughs> just because. This show had kind of two spinoffs. Definitely one spinoff, Daria, mm-hmm. which is a very another popular show yeah. at that time. Daria was a character who started uh, on Beavis and Butthead and then kind of spinned off to her own one. Of course, that one she was voiced by Janine Garofalo. Uh, yeah, pretty popular one there. And then King of the Hill wasn't a spinoff per se, but there was a character named Tom Anderson who was pretty similar to Hank Hill, mm-hmm. who would have some interactions. Uh, he was kind of like an angry neighbor who who they had to deal with every now and then, um, and kind of he was similar esque to Hank Hill. So and then so yeah, so then King of the Hill kind of grew from that idea probably. Yeah. One thing I saw about this show was. Because of some morality groups were complaining to MTV about the show and, you know, oh, the glorification of sex and violence and all this bullshit, that MTV ended up putting a disclaimer on Beavis and Butthead. So at first it would say, Beavis and Butthead are not real. They are stupid cartoon people completely made up by this Texas guy whom we hardly even know. Beavis and Butthead are dumb, crude, thoughtless, ugly, sexist, self-destructive fools. But for some reason... The little wiener heads make us laugh. As a, I mean, they're kind of it's kind of like a little middle finger to the fucking yeah. uh, morality groups who just complain about everything. Uh, it was later changed to a eh, less middle finger right. uh, where it said Beavis and Butthead are not role models. They're not even human. They're cartoons. Some of the things they would do cause a human would cause a human to get hurt, expelled, arrested, possibly deported. To put it in another way, don't try this at home. Which is ridiculous for. Uh, the, a, a, a station have to put a a disclaimer on a fucking cartoon like it's obviously that they're just fucking cartoons. Yeah. Well, I remember there was uh, I don't know how if it really happened or not because sometimes I feel like things get blown out of proportion. But apparently yeah. there was a kid who accidentally burned down his house. Oh, Big, for, for all the fire, yeah, fire for doing something like that. Maybe I did see that there was allegedly this kid dropped like a bowling ball onto a car and it ended up I think you know either killing or hurting somebody. Mm. And and the prosecutors were trying to say that he got the idea from Beavis and Butthead dropping a bowling ball out of, off of a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, but later it was shown that the kid didn't even have cable <laughs> and shit like that. So it's just like, oh, my God, just people people complaining. I and mean, it's like, yes, kids are impressionable, but like even they understand. Like, man, we all understand shit's not real. Yeah. At the same time. You know, I remember when we were talking Alf and like, you know, there was some kid who tried to put a cat in a microwave and <laughs> shit like that. And it's just like because Alf would uh, eat cats. So sometimes sometimes kids are really fucking dumb. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. I will say one thing that I definitely appreciate is their intro music. It's just like, I think it's a nice, like, chill little, you know, for for two people who you would think it's a very metal style, but theirs is just kind of like a very kind of chill Beavis and Butthead. You know, it's just, (laughs) it's, it's, um, I don't know. I I enjoy it. I actually like legit enjoy listening to that theme song. I'm indifferent to it. Okay. Okay. And the animation, extremely low quality. Yes. On this one. I 
don't really know who the production company was. Very early Simpsons-esque. Yeah, it never got out of that 1989 Simpsons-esque style where Simpsons definitely got better and looked good. And and, and now it's almost too crisp for me. I kind of... But I'm just nostalgic to that mid-90s Simpsons. But this one is honestly hard to kind of rewatch that 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 crap animation to me. Mm-hmm. Did you you have any issues with kind of rewatch? Well, speaking of how many episodes did you watch? I actually didn't watch a whole episode. I watched a bunch of clips. Okay. Yeah, and it's not I couldn't find it on too many places, but I did find on Daily Motion they had like, you know, cuz they they'll split up their episodes to like smaller like, mm-hmm. you know, half minute or half uh episode chunks like, you know, kind of like how Doug did or something. It was like 2 11 minute and I watched, and I could find those, and so I watched a couple of those on Daily Motion. And it's not gonna lie, I'll just transition to my final sure. thoughts here. I did not really have a good time. I watched like two episodes, and and I was not as being not a big fan as a kid. It was tough for me to really pull out a whole bunch of enjoyment and nostalgia from it because even now, a lot of the jokes I just didn't find funny. Mm-hmm. I found them more annoying than anything else. Beavis and Butthead. I just maybe it's because I'm older. I just wanted to be like. Get a fucking job, you kids. You know, <laughs> I just I just get off my lawn. And so I, I didn't love it, but I will say I I do respect it. I respect Mike Judge. I understand that it had a, an impact on pop culture, and I definitely definitely like anything that will piss off the normie bullshitty morality groups. Mm-hmm. And so I I appreciate that. I just it's not my jam. Yeah, I honestly I didn't like it. I've never liked the show, really. I've never been a fan. To me, the only real good thing that I ever got out of Beavis and Butthead is I'm really into the uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers cover of Love Roller Coaster. Oh, yeah. I've always liked that from the movie. That is pretty much it. Yeah, that was that was the a really good song that came from the Beavis and Butthead Do America, yeah. which is hard to find because you you can't get it on iTunes or anything. Oh wow! So. Roller coaster of love, say, say what? what? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, Joseph. If uh, if you were really digging and you you the main thing that you loved was Beavis and Butthead, we're sorry. Yeah. You, you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by tables. Tables are made so a person can sit down and do something or nothing. Any person can sit at a table. And if the table is large enough, many people. To make jokes, eat a meal, tell stories, tables are for people to be together and share. And that is why tables are like Pied Piper. Grapefruits, postcards, hugs, These are things people share to connect to become closer, to open up about ideas and things that make us feel alive, like air, ballet, amazing haircuts, weird countries, three-alarm chili, mountains, continents, the earth, life. Life is beautiful and sad and hopeful and dangerous. So maybe the reason we share so much is because we understand that without sharing, we can't survive. And sharing 
is Tables. All right, and now we are on to the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're going to be uh, keep the judge train rolling, and we're going to recast, or not recast, we're going to cast a live-action version of King of the Hill. It's, I'll say, sorry, it's funny, like a week ago, I, I just like, you know, you're on Facebook, and something popped up on, wouldn't this be perfect? And it was like a live-action casting of four, of like the four main guys yeah. on King of the Hill that I saw like as a meme going around. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Really? <laughs> I was like, well, that just did my job for me. Well, the funny thing is, is I actually found a couple different live action castings uh, from people. Yeah. And some of them, I was like, uh, I was like, that's perfect. Same. I did similar. Actually, because I, I like to do a little bit of research yeah. and I hunt around, see if anything, you know, uh, clicks with me or, I, you know, get, just get anything that, that works well. And some of them, like, yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, and a couple of them I, I looked at and I was like, God, those are perfect. And then I, yeah. uh, so I purposely went away from that because I was like, I don't want to just copy that. Oh, see, I've, I allowed okay, it, man. Okay. I went with it. So <laughs> it, it is possible that your picks would probably been, would have been my picks. Cause I saw a couple and I was like, uh-huh. God, that is a perfect casting. And and I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm copying that. So I went away. I probably should have just gone yeah. with it, but oh, well. Eh. All right. So we are going to do Hank Hill, Peggy Hill, Bobby Hill, Luann Platter, Dale Gribble, Bill I don't know how to spell his name or how to say his name. <laughs> yeah. And then Boomhauer, Jeff Boomhauer. Uh, there are a lot of other memorable characters, I think, in that show, but those are kind of like mm-hmm. it's the four main guys plus, you know, the Hill family and Luann. Yep. Yeah, it's been such a long time since I've seen the King of the Hill, and I was not a frequent watcher, so I'm not overly familiar with the characters and, like, the storylines and stuff like that. No. I will say one thing that I'm not, I'm not disappointed that we didn't, break or we we didn't review king of the hill here um but i will say i've come across king of the hill like i would i don't have cable anymore um and i don't really search out this show because i never really 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 watched it when i was younger but at, at like a hotel or something and there's not much else on i've put on king of the hill and i'm like oh that's pretty fucking funny <laughs> like it is a show where i want to go back and actually like try to rediscover yeah. it and be like i i have a feeling now that i'm older I would really like King of the Hill, and so I'm going to say, Joseph, you fucked up. You should have made us uh, review King of the Hill, and I would have probably had a much better time than I did with Beavis and Butthead. That's fair. But yeah. I, I, largely I'm the same way. Like I, I, it's, I'm i intrigued enough by it that I'm like, I think I should go back and watch a few episodes or something. Mm-hmm. But All right, yeah. let's get to our casting, and let's start with Boomhauer. And uh, I'm going to see... Based off of because uh, the Boomhauer casting was one of the ones where I was like, oh, that's genius. It's perfect. And, it is. Uh, it's perfect. And uh, so I want to see if that's who you went with. So I'm gonna let you go first. It's exactly who I went with when I was doing some of my searching. Uh, this guy, he also this guy also popped up. I noticed in some of the other roles, and I was just like, no, no, no. But the ones I saw where he was for Boomhauer, because Boomhauer, you can't understand shit. Right. And half the times. You can't understand anything out of this guy's mouth other than, all right, all right, all right. And he's perfect for Boomhauer. I went with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, that, to me, that is the absolute perfect <laughs> casting. Whoever thought that up yeah. was a genius. Uh, uh-huh. I mean, he's so Texas, so it really fits into that role yeah. already. Yeah, and he could totally – I've heard him like do these mumbly things or other shit like that, so it's great. So uh, so I went away from that, but I, I think I made a good choice as an alternate. Um, he doesn't mm-hmm. exactly look the part. Which I think sometimes these, you know, these these uh, websites when they do their castings, they sometimes 
they they just go for the look. They're like, oh, this guy looks True. like him, and you're like, 100%. he's not. A, he's he's not. You know, he he doesn't have that. You know, it doesn't fit. Now sometimes they nail it on the head, and it just happens to work out. But so uh, I decided I went with another actor who is hilarious and could do this. And I I don't know if this is really anything he'd be into, but I I just think he'd be funny doing it. Uh, I put Neil Flynn. Yeah. Um. He would work. He's you know he's got he's got that look. He might be really good for a different role. Possibly. Yeah. I just think it would be funny to to watch Neil Flynn like having to mumble his way through lines. They wouldn't have to do anything yeah. either. Like just tell him what roughly what to do, and he would just improv it. Yeah. He would. I mean, he'd be solid. Uh, we've talked about our uh, appreciation for Neil Flynn uh, multiple yeah. times, and I do think it. But honestly, just thinking about it, I might like him for a different role. Okay. But you know, you got me guessing on what I, what I want to do for that one. But anyway, it, he he could do any of these roles. That's great. Yeah. All right. So let's move on to the next character, which is Bill Dotterive. I don't really know how to say that. Yeah. And so this one is, is weird. I actually knew ahead of time who I wanted for this. And so I, he was mm-hmm. the first person I cast. And then I did see him cast in a in a, in one of the cast like I've seen it I saw like two or three different ones and somebody else mm-hmm. did pick him as well so one I, I won't say it in case you pick that one too um, but okay. I went with um, a character actor who you've seen on a ton of stuff uh, named David Ketchner yeah David Ketchner I've heard of him I've seen him mostly in the office and I saw his name uh, as well on a lot of those those lists um I remember him most from The Office and uh, Anchorman. Anchorman. Yeah, he was an Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why I also went with David. Oh, Ketchner. all right. Uh, he's perfect. Okay. Now he looks so much yeah. like him, and he is a great comedic com- uh, character yeah. actor that I think it just fits. Now I will say the first person I thought of was just fuck it, give it to Stephen Root. That's who voiced that oh, character, yeah. and he's another great. But David looks so much like <laughs> yeah. Bill, and I think it just fits. It fits really. Another well. person I saw, which at first I was like, "What? Why?" And then I was like, "Ah, yeah, I can kind of see it," because um, kind of remembering how the character acted was John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that one as well, and uh, John C. Riley. Dude, what a versatile actor yeah. there! When you really looked at through his portfolio, it's amazing, and he totally could do that. Yeah, but yeah, but but David Keckner, Cockner, Ketchner, whatever the fuck, I think he really does. I've seen him do mopey stuff like that in um, some in uh, the Goldbergs, which I'm a okay. big fan of the Goldberg show right now. Uh, and he, he just, yeah, he works. He fucking works. Yeah. Uh, all right, the next uh, character is Dale Gribble, who I don't really remember too much about. I kind of remember. He he's kind of like the out of the group. He like talks the most. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely like uh, probably the the closest friend to Hank um, of that group. Yeah. So who did you go with? Again, I you know I was looking through different stuff, and originally I was like, okay, I'm really liking this. Uh, but then it eventually hit me this other actor who I'm, I think I saw maybe on one of the lists. But I once I got to him, I was like, okay. This guy, I think, would be perfect. I've used him multiple times, but he was he's really funny. He can do a lot of those. I don't know. I think he can do that Dale, the Dale confidence that he has. But Dale's also oblivious uh, because his his son <laughs> is obviously the uh, the illegitimate child of uh, the Native American character mm-hmm. and his wife, um, which he thinks is his son, I think, the entire time. Man, he's dumb, but uh, I, he's funny at times. I went with uh, Bill Hader. 
I think he kind of oh, looks, yeah. you put a head on him. I think he could totally pull off a similar Dale Gribble. That's a good call. Bill mm-hmm. Hader's really good. Yeah. It's probably better than who I went with. Okay. I don't know why I chose this guy. For some reason, I got. I thought maybe he could do it. I went with Rob Lowe. Interesting. I mean, I don't. I can't. I can't think of a, another performance that I can see shifting into Dale Gribble. Mm-hmm. But he is a good. And I like that he's done more and more comedy stuff. Yeah. Especially with Parks and Rec, that um, I could imagine it, it would be something that that could work. Okay. I think you had the so, better choice. Mm-hmm. Better the better call. I don't think I'd be mad if Rob Lowe showed no. up. I agree. I don't. I don't. He, he. That's a. That's a good-looking Dale Gribble. <laughs> Rob Lowe's a good-looking man, and Dale's kind of an awkward, gangly, ugly motherfucker. It um, could, so that's it the could only make thing. It, it. That it could actually that could add to um, kind of the comedy of his wife having cheated on him. If he's could a good-looking dude, I don't. Maybe I'm just trying way. to justify this to myself. <laughs> uh, all okay. right. So, Luann. I kind of can't remember who she is. I remember she was in a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, I believe, uh, a niece of, and I can't remember if it's from Peggy or okay. Hank, um, who is who is living with them. I believe that's what it is. So it's a cousin, like I think a cousin of Bobby who's who's now living with them. Okay. Um, and that they're kind of like, you know, they they, they watch out for her and, she, and that kind of thing. I just remember she's kind of an idiot. Oh, yeah. She is super dumb. So I, there was a couple of different ones. I think... I think ten years ago, Kaylee Cuoco would have been absolutely perfect. Yeah, as, like, like yeah, like I beginning of of Big Bang Theory. Yes, Kaylee Cuoco would have been perfect. Um, but I went with uh, another girl who's blonde and done, but done a lot of stuff. She's uh, I only really really recognized her from one movie, and I thought she was fine in. Um, but she's been in Big Little Lies, and I recognized her as the um, sort of the the opposite of the main character in the Pokemon Detective Pikachu movie, I went with a girl named uh, Catherine Newton. I uh, certainly didn't watch the Pokemon movie. <laughs> what? Yeah. Catherine Newton or Newman? Newton. Uh, She does have the look. Blonde. Okay, she was in Blockers, which I enjoyed that movie. Okay. Uh, Blockers was funny. I haven't seen Three Billboards, but actually I have. It's my, it's my, it, I have the Netflix right now. Of uh, the Blu-ray, and I just haven't watched it yet. I haven't really seen enough of her stuff, but I, mean, I guess I like her in Blockers, if that was, yeah, one of those main characters. Okay. But she's got the look. I'm sure she could okay. do it. Okay. Who did you go with? Yeah. Uh, I went with an actress who I've seen play a dumb role like this almost one-to-one. <laughs> I think, you know, she absolutely could pull off. I mean, it literally was like, oh, wow, Luann reminds me of this character from Superstore. I think she would be perfect. Um, her name is, uh, Nicole Sakura and she plays a character called Cheyenne who is just like a dumb young twenties, late teens kind of person. Um, if you've seen the show, I think people would absolutely agree with me. If you haven't, it's kind of probably maybe harder to, to think of it, but I think, I think her character is a, as much of a one-to-one to Luann as I've ever seen. Yeah. You, you, uh, you watch that show, uh, quite a bit, don't you? I'm a big fan of Superstore. Now it's. Tougher to be hard to get into right now, only because America Ferrera left. Oh, really? And she was she was the character who you know that you cared right. about. She was the main character, and so now it's like the all right, the rest of the ensemble has to step up and is trying to be like, all right, who who am I going to care about as much? So that's that's tougher. But like I've enjoyed the first you know whatever five seasons of it uh, immensely. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, she's got the look, and if if you're if you're saying that it's basically a one to one, then it's got to be good. Mm-hmm. I think so. Cool. I'm down. 
Uh, all right. Your favorite part of any casting. Let's <laughs> cast a kid. Woo! All right. Uh, who did you go with? Well, John, as we already talked about, we did some research <laughs> and we saw some other kids and other stuff like that being cast into it. And every single casting I went to, it was the exact same kid that they put into this role. And so I'm just like, fuck it. I don't want to do the work of the casting. Sorry, people. You know my my complaining. This kid looks exactly like a live-action Bobby <laughs> Hill. And so I went with him. His name is Jeremy Ray Taylor. He was in It Number 1 and It Number 2 and some other things. But, you know, he's 17 right now, so hopefully he can play a little bit younger in high mm-hmm. school or some shit like that. And, and, and they'd make it work. But he looks, he looks like a fucking Bobby Hill. Adam, I did the exact same thing. I didn't want to bother with it. It looked perfect. I said, fuck it. I'm going to go with this guy. I also went with Jeremy Ray Taylor. Wasn't, wasn't he in every damn casting you saw? Yes. He was yeah. the kid. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to learn to just get out the kid <laughs> castings because we're, we're, our reasoning and rationale is getting, is getting less and less, um, uh, you know, quality. And we're just being like, eh, fuck it. Someone else thought yeah. of it. All right. Peggy Hill. This one was uh, interesting to cast. I actually had kind of a hard time with this one. Probably a harder time than Hank Hill. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I kind of went with um, a, a somebody who I think I could rely on. Um, she doesn't exactly look like Peggy Hill, but, I mean, you know, makeup. You, you got to get the big bouffant hairstyle going on and yeah. all that stuff. So, she, you know, you put her in the right costume, she could totally blend into the character. I went with Kristen Wiig. Yeah. Yeah, she could probably do it. Probably do a pretty damn good job. I like that. She's doing all kinds of comedy stuff right now, and I know uh, we're waiting to see what she looks like uh, in Wonder mm-hmm. Woman. Cheetah. But uh, yeah. I, I I think she could totally do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without question, she could totally do it. So that's a good right. call. Who was your Peggy? Um, I saw a lot of people put Tina Fey. I didn't like that in some of the other castings mm-hmm. that I saw. I didn't. That didn't fit for me. And you may not you may not like the person that I that I picked. She used to do a good bit of comedies. She hasn't really done comedies in a while. Um, I have seen her do a uh, a very southern accent, particularly in the movie The Blind Side, and I kind of thought maybe she could come back to some of her comedy roots. I picked Sandra Bullock. You know what? I don't hate that. Okay. I th- okay. I was expecting you to, to trash it, but no, cool. I don't. I don't. I I I think uh, Sandra Bullock gets a lot more shit than she deserves. Yeah. I think she's a pretty good actress. You know what? I like. I like it. I'll, I'll go ahead and say yeah. it. I like it. I mean, she did a she did a ton of comedy with like the the miscongeniality stuff, yeah. um, even in uh, Demolition Man yeah. and that kind of things. But then she kind of got more into a lot more drama acting yeah. later. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. I'm, yeah, I'm totally cool with that. All right, all right. All right. Uh, the head guy, uh, Hank Hill. So if you followed the the one, I wonder which one you went with for Hank Hill. All right. So I'm gonna have you start. I. We'll say your choice of Neil Flynn kind of just got to my head like, ooh, he could probably pull off Hank Hill pretty damn well. He probably could. He probably could. But um, I'm going to stick to who I chose. And there is there's one guy that so many different people have chosen for their Hank Hill. And I just don't see it. Huh. Also, he's older. He's like in his 60s. And I just think that's a little too old for my Hank Hill. So I went with this other guy. He is great at comedy. Now he'd have to tone down some of his over-the-top stuff that he has done, but he works really well with David Cockner, as he did in um, uh, Anchorman, and I think he would be great with a lot of his other comedic stuff. I went with Will Ferrell. I okay. think, you know, 
tone him down a little bit, I think he could be a pretty good uh, Hank Hill. So, so the guy that we're probably talking about that the, all the internet said would have been a great Hank Hill is Tom Hanks. Yeah, and I can see it, but I, I, you know what, I kind of agree with you. I think he's a little too old now for that role. Yeah, I mean, if, 10, 15 years ago, that yeah. probably be really solid, but he's sixty four right now. And not to say that he couldn't pull some stuff off, but like, you know, I, I want to have my Bobby Hill be like a mid younger high schooler. Right. Um, and for that age, 60 something is just a little bit older than what I would expect right. for my Hank. Yeah. And for those reasons, I also went with Will Ferrell. Whoa. Okay. All right. You're, you're not usually a big Ferrell fan. Uh, no, I mean, th- that's, I'm, I'm, I'm. Well, okay, let me say this. A lot of his earlier stuff I did enjoy when it got to be too much. Like when mm-hmm. I was just constantly like Anchorman, I loved. I think it's hilarious. It's yeah, that's right. Um, that but way. like I at that point after that, I like I didn't I didn't care to see the whatever the pair skating movie he did. Yeah, yeah, Blades of Glory. I didn't care, to see I didn't care for Blades of Glory. Step Brothers. I've never cared about seeing that. That's what I will defend. Okay. Talladega Nights, I didn't care I for. I didn't see it. Semi Pro. Semi Pro yep. didn't care for. Blades of Glory didn't care for, but then I saw, I saw Step Brothers, and fuck, that's a funny movie. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? And that's kind of where I think, like, you know, if you brought John C. Riley in as Bill, him and Will Ferrell work so well together. Uh huh. Maybe shift John C. Riley to a different character, like I don't know Dale or I don't know, but like David Cockner works well with him too, yeah. also because of Anchorman. So I don't know. Will Ferrell, yeah, strong choice. I do think, you know, Hank is very, um, I don't know, a by-the-books strict he, guy. He, he, Will would have to play it straight. Yes. and He would I've he would not be able to do, like, the improv comedy shit that he did with Anchorman. Yeah, but I've seen him do some of that straight stuff. There was that, um, fuck, he had one of those, he had a movie where he played, I mean, he's played slightly more dramatic yeah. stuff. Um, I don't know why it's not, not coming to my head exactly what the movie was, but... Yeah, he, I know he can do it, so I'd like I'd like to see that, and I think he would he could pull it off well, and he's got the name power that you would want to 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 lead like a, a King of the Hill yeah, casting. Yeah, exactly. I think we uh, I think we put out a pretty perfect casting. I mean, we had three three of the yep. same. I mean, granted, one of them was uh, a gimme because we didn't, yeah, didn't want to yeah. bother having to cast them. <laughs> the kid, there's a kid. But uh, overall, I uh, I think we I th- I still. I'm still baffled why we have not been hired by Hollywood yeah, to cast exactly. the movies. The, the movie I was thinking of with Will Ferrell was Stranger Than Fiction. Oh, I just found okay. It, where he's play, he was more of a straight kind of businessy kind of guy, so he can do you – know, and that was even still had some comic elements right. to it. Oh, and you know what? That He did um, Bewitched, which I never saw right. uh, with Nicole Kidman, where if, if you're playing Daryl – That's about as straight as they come. Exactly. So you know what? He can He can totally do that. Perfect. Yep, uh, Hollywood will be waiting by the phone with bated breath uh, for our checks, or <laughs> by the mailbox. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> They're not. We're fucked, John. We're I never know. gonna get. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, all right, that was our casting of a King of the Hill movie. Please join us next time for a special album review. John and Adam are joined by their sister Abby as they review the New Kids on the Block album, Hangin' Tough. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.
Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking back.